Welcome to the Colorful Clipboard, where we discuss the building blocks of making dough in childcare. I'm Kate. And I'm Carrie. Welcome back to Colorful Clipboard. And boy, has it been a crazy few months. And as a podcast, we sometimes record our podcasts and update them and post them later than maybe when we recorded them. And today, Carrie and I decided that we would take some time and actually do a current events and a now what. And uh, so we're going to start by kind of looking specifically at those child care programs or after school programs that have their calendar uh, coordinated with the school district calendar. And in our current world of pandemic, what this means and, and how this looks. And our take, may not be your take, but our take on um, what that means to you. So Carrie, tell me a little bit about some of the programs you've worked with and some of the struggles they're currently going through and why. Well, I think one of the things that has been really hard for people in the past couple of weeks is for directors and teachers to see how wound up the community at large is about the concept of the teachers in elementary schools and high schools, and I guess middle schools, nobody mentions them, but (laughs) I'm going to presume there as well, um, how much risk they're at by putting all these children back in the building with them, and how those same people were not super concerned about the health of the childcare workers who were being put back in a building with hundreds of children. And I, you know, part of it is, you know, a difference in scale, you know, a high school is going to have, you know, several thousand kids, you know, or at least a thousand kids. And I don't know of any childcare programs that have a thousand kids at one location. But there's also, and, and there is the, I mean, and there is the component of, you know, how many kids are in a classroom. I mean, some of these high school classrooms have 30 to 40 kids. And uh, that's not generally the case in a child care Well, but it program. might be in an after-school class, in a school-age that classroom. Is, that That is true. But we're, well, I guess, I mean, it's summer. So some summer programs might still be running at that volume. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's been really hard for all of the early childhood and after-school professionals to hear parents freaking out about that, about those um, professionals being put at risk when there was no similar uproar when childcare programs went from either being closed or being only for essential workers to being open to the general public. I think that has been, I've just heard a lot of, but don't you think some of that's, (laughs) yeah. I mean, so don't you think some of that though is, I mean, some of the, the, the concern about elementary school, et cetera, has come as a result of what they've seen related to early childcare. I mean, if early childcare opened and there wasn't a problem, we may not have these concerns, but you know, even in Texas, we've got what, 400 cases that are more coming than, out of childcare. More than that. Yeah. It, it's increasing by about a hundred cases a day. Yeah. Um, so we've got a hundred cases a day in Texas specifically related to childcare COVID. So 
unfortunately, we're the guinea pig. I mean, you know, we don't really, I don't think anybody thought of it that way. And I don't think that was the intent. Correct. But that's what's happened, you know. And the fact that most states don't do what Texas does and track um, infectious disease specifically in childcare. Um, So in Texas, you know, we have to, if a person gets sick with a reportable communicable disease, the childcare center has to not only report to the health department, they also have to report to licensing. So licensing has a good account of how many people have any communicable disease in childcare. And that's not just COVID. Um, It was also, you know, the case for amoebic dysentery. If you have a child who gets sick with amoebic dysentery at your childcare center, you have to let licensing know. So, Or a staff person who has a positive TB test. Right. All of that, you know, it is infrastructure that has been there, but other states don't track childcare separately. They just track the ages of people. Um, and so it's just done through the health department. So I think the numbers in Texas are frequently being cited in national news, but it's not because we're not doing a good job. <laughs> it's because we are doing a really good job of tracking it because we have this different infrastructure than most states do. And the fact that, you know, there is a director who I have been in awe of during all of this, who has done absolutely everything she can possibly think of to keep COVID out of her center. And she ended up having to close her center for um, for a brief period of time while they were waiting for everybody to get testing back because one of her staff members got uh, tested positive for COVID. And so her decision, not the health department's decision, but her decision was to close the center until all of her staff could be tested. And then, you know, during that time, had professional people come in and do disinfecting at the center, but it wasn't shown to be, you know, there was nobody else associated with the center who had it. That person contracted it outside the center. And because of all of the precautions they were taking at their center, nobody else got COVID. Everybody was wearing masks. They were changing clothes when they got to work. They were changing shoes when they got to work. You know, they were doing pods of children, all of the things that the CDC says to do, they were doing. So they were doing more than um, licensing required. And still, with all of that, they had somebody come down with COVID. Well, but that's because the staff don't live in a bubble. I mean, that's one of the things. And you and I've talked about this before. It drives me crazy is, you know, we're going to associate um, whether it's, uh, you know, in a school district or a a traditional elementary school classroom or even in a child care center. We're saying these people got COVID because of that reason. But it's probably not. It's whatever they were doing outside. You know, they aren't telling people you get to go to work and home and that's it. Right. You know, and. And and so that's what I think, you know, we have to keep in mind is that, like I said, if this could have happened at her center where they're taking every precaution, it's not just about what's happening at the school. Well, exactly. It's much more. In her case, it was much more about what was happening outside the school. Exactly. That's what I was going to say is so like, you know, if they're doing everything internally and you end up with somebody and you catch it quickly, like, you know, used a great example, they're able to to, to, to mitigate the risk. But if the staff don't view their life as basically home and to work and they're going out to parties and they're doing other things that they view as socially distanced or safe or low risk, but then they're coming back to work, then 
it's no longer the bubble or it's no longer, um, you know, you're doing a lot of, you're doing triple, really, you're doing triple the work because you're not just trying to keep your center clean. You have to account for where your staff was before. Yeah. And I think as we're going into all of this stuff with the school districts and the different state uh, mandates and the federal mandates about school, whether or not those will hold water, I don't think the federal ones will. But the state mandates, you've got state uh, education boards saying, okay, all of the schools need to do X and Y. But if that area has an outbreak, like I live in Austin, Texas, and we're having an outbreak and the state school board um, said you can only take two weeks to figure out how to do all of your safety precautions on site. So after that, you have to have on-site school. And our county health officer just issued an order saying no school can be held in our county until at least September 9th, which completely countermands what the state was saying. And if you're a center that bases your calendar off of the school district, what are you supposed to start when they go back to distance education or when they go back to Uh, (laughs) in-class? Are they going to be taking snow days? Like, (laughs) What, what is the calendar going to look like? Because school in my county, every school district was supposed to start in two weeks. Well, within two weeks. So there were some school districts. Yeah. So some school districts um, in Travis County were starting like the 13th and 14th of August or that part of the week. And then others weren't starting for two weeks later um, because they've adjusted their school day. Right. They had to start a little bit earlier and end a little bit later. So they were making up their minutes days or time yeah. their minutes but that way. the what they had had as their published calendar <laughs> you know if you looked at the published calendar in you know march they had published calendars for the 2020 the 2020 2021 school year there was a published calendar those have all been kind of scrapped well, and and it's and so let's think this through. So as a as the director of a child care center and and one of the roles that we have at, when we train directors is we help you with planning. So whether we're talking your marketing plan, your menu plan, your curriculum plan, I am sure I would not be the only director right now in a complete like I can't plan anything. So so I want to make sure that I, I, I take a step back real quick and kind of play the the other side um, or another view, which is, you know, not only do we have to figure out how to work around the school district calendar, if that is what you work and, and whether or not you're going to do virtual, but it's also what is the true community need? Because I can't stop but sit here and scratch my head that all of a sudden we have all these families who have had, you know, children home all summer that was probably not originally planned. And now the parents are being told, oh, again, you have to be home for another two to three or four weeks from when they thought they were planning to be able to maybe go back to work. Yep. Um, so I, I think that every child care center that's listening really needs to think through um, their, their, their size, their relevance, um, you know, the, the, uh, the homeschooling community, which really there's homeschooling and then there's schooling at home. Um, but they, uh, the homeschooling term is being used interchangeably, which as a longtime homeschooler frustrates me because it's not <laughs> your schooling at home. Yep. 
but that's that's a whole different podcast. That's distance and education, so- <laughs> not homeschooling. Yeah. So so we have all these families that are now finding themselves, you know, that are that didn't prepare over the summer. You know, had we known in May that these families were going to school from home in August, I'm sure that a lot of these families would have done a lot of things differently from maybe setting up um, spaces or getting computers or technology or Wi-Fi that can handle three kids and two parents, you know, all doing school and work from home. Yeah, I mean, how many programs have a T1 line? Uh, (laughs) How many homes have a T1 line? Um, I think, you know, I had a hard time last night. I was doing a training uh, through Zoom, which we've all gone to enough Zoom meetings, but I was trying to do a screen share as well as show my face and the amount of bandwidth I have at my home was not enough that my husband could do whatever it was he was doing in another part of the house. I presume he was Netflixing. He has, you know, been watching a lot of anime. Um, (laughs) And I couldn't have the bandwidth I needed to do a screen share on Zoom while my husband was watching a movie. So if I had three kids who were all trying to attend Zoom meetings and then I was trying to work and my husband was trying to work, I'm just not going to have the bandwidth for that. And... And in a lot of ways, the bandwidth for that, not just the technical. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, the centers that are thinking about, okay, we're now going to offer full day care for school age children who are doing distance education. I have to ask you, do you have a T1 line? Do you have, do you have a dedicate, do you have enough, you know, infrastructure, not just the computers, but the amount of literal bandwidth to be able to have those 10 school age kids doing the distance education that is now being required because what they're asking in most areas of the country is very different from what they were doing in April. (laughs) Right. So, so let's talk about this real quick. So I want to make sure that people kind of heard what you said. So there are some programs that are trying to stay afloat. They're trying to see what their community needs and they have found that there is still a need for parents to have a place for their kid to go. Um, So if the kid is not being able to go to the free public school, now there are um, private child care centers, preschools, academies, whatever name you have on your facility, that are opening up space that is six feet and will provide a service Um, For lack of a better term, it's not really teaching. You are supporting the... You're being a proctor. It's much more like you're you're being a proctor in a testing center. But I've also heard of it from gyms. There are Mm -hmm. dojos and dance studios that are doing this also. Yeah, so there, so everybody's having to reinvent what they're going to be able to provide and what their clients need. So whether you're an after-school program or a full-time, you know, um, pre-K program, know that you don't need to have a licensed teacher for these. So if you've decided this is a service that your parents need, um, and generally I'm saying you're probably offering this to kids who, or to families who are already in your program that have an elementary, middle, or high school, um, and we'll talk a little bit about that middle school high school thing here in just a minute, but at least the elementary school kids, you don't need to have a licensed teacher. You aren't setting up a private school. That's a whole different, um, that's a whole different podcast. Well, but I but think, if all you're trying to do, I think some programs are probably going to do that also. 
Well, that's what I said. I think that's a different podcast because I think that is something to explore if it's something that's relevant to your community's needs. So, you know, from um, from a marketing standpoint, um, a rebranding standpoint to figure out how to make your business viable um, in this time of change. Yeah, absolutely. You can be a proctor service. You can become a private school and hire a certified K through five teacher. Um, but I just wanted to make sure that if you're if you're basically providing a space for people to do their schoolwork, you understand that you aren't expected, should not be expected to hire and pay somebody with a teacher credential um, who would normally be a K through five teacher. Right. Because they already have that because they're doing the distance education. They have a certified teacher. Um, and I think it's kind of interesting. I think part of why here in Texas, the governor has now said that he is going to require the TEA to change their their state rules about uh, how many days of distance education is because of the number of teachers who said, if you're not going to actually provide the PPP, no, the PPE, PPP is the loan, PPE, (laughs) personal protective equipment, and you're not going to put up, you know, sneeze guards and stuff like that, we're retiring. And he got letters from literally tens of thousands of teachers who said, this is not good enough and we're not coming to work. Oh, yeah. I mean, we have teachers all over that are talking about the the PPE that are talking about their own well-being that are trying to figure out how they're supposed to manage because not every school across the state of Texas. And so if you're listening to this podcast from outside of the state of Texas, you may not realize have a real true idea of the scope of the size of the state. Um, I mean, it can easily be chopped up into five normal state sizes. Or if um, you're from New England, about 20 states. <laughs> yes. Um, so so consider some of the rural areas that you might have in your state and know that Texas probably has about, you know, four or five times the number that you might have in your state. Um, so we have a lot of areas that just are still technically not there, right? So, I mean, um, yep. there's um, between Austin, Texas and Houston, Houston, Texas, it's about a three hour drive, but there's a good hour in the middle of that, that yeah, they have cell phone service, but that's about it. Like they do have some internet capacities, but not enough that you can stream a movie and not enough. I mean, cause there's nothing but farms out there. So, you yeah. know, an internet provider isn't, doesn't see this as necessarily. So a lot of them are using phone hotspots. Yep. So, you know, think about what you can do as a family with your phone hotspot if you are, I'm not going to say in the middle of nowhere because some of these places are fairly decent sized towns, but they just don't have good internet. And so um, I think that is something, um, you know, the digital divide is something that we hear about. You know, there's a lot of major school districts that started loading up their buses and sending their buses to, um, again, apartment complexes and different places in their communities for these kids to be able to access the work in the spring. And again, nobody thought this was going to go into the fall. So nobody has prepped their infrastructure. Yeah, there's a lot of libraries now that are boosting their signals, even though they're not open. So you can at least do something in the parking lot. But are you going to want elementary school kids sitting on the ground in the parking lot of the (laughs) elementary school for seven hours a day? Or in Texas heat, let's be realistic. I mean, there's, yeah, there's all kinds of things components, right? And so you're, 
still taking, a, you're still assuming that these families have somebody to take them somewhere. So that is where we as childcare providers come in to fill the gap. But we have to understand that families were budgeting for this to be free. Right. They, they or maybe they were paying their after school program. Right. So, so keep that in mind. And I think also, so now the, whoever administers the childcare block grant in different states, um, they're now having to wrestle with, okay, if a school age child who is receiving federal funds to pay for their childcare, if they're there all day, even though the schools are theoretically open, does the CCS payment, are they paying part day or are they paying full day if those kids are there all day? And, you know, I know that our state um, child care block grant entity has not yet come to an understanding. There is a lot of uh, strong feelings on both sides because you've got those low income families, those single parent households where they've got four kids and the parent is an essential worker and they can't stay home with those four elementary school children, but two of them are in kindergarten and second grade, so they're not really old enough to stay home. So how do <laughs> how does the child care block grant address that situation where they've got Absolutely. kids who Absolutely. are receiving funds, but the parent, you know, maybe that kindergartner has severe asthma, <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, so, so yeah, so I mean, what are they gonna do? We do have to, right. So we do have to remember when we're talking, at, you know, as child care centers, you really, really have to make sure you understand the expense. So if you're hiring somebody full time to help facilitate this and you have families that are on um, some sort of federal assistance or can't pay uh, what I would call camp rates, because really at the most you could be charging people during this time would be whatever you might have traditionally charged for camp or if you have a but, private some schools have private kinders so you'd be charging that same rate at most at most and so you really have to kind of think through although this sounds like something that's a great alternative and it'd be a great way for you to figure out how to be of use to your community i'm gonna sit here and tell you to run the numbers you know i mean I love the fact that we have childcare centers that are willing to and want to provide services and provide this kind of service, but I'm, I'm concerned. I, I really am concerned that you're going to end up not being able to cover because you, can, you can't put 45 kids in a classroom. So usually I'm all about the school age program because school age program, the number of staff to child ratio makes an after school program quite the moneymaker. But currently, can you really do that in a COVID world? I mean, can you put the number of kids that would, quote unquote, fall under a single teacher um, in your uh, school age space? Yeah. Uh, and it still makes sense financially. So please, please, please run the numbers, people. Please make sure that before you embark on this, you know you really have a need and understand it's temporary. Um, it's This may or may not be something that's going to be a good thing for you for a whole school year. So if it's only something you need to do for three weeks, is it worth the additional expense, the setup, the the, the bandwidth? Um, or do you just encourage the families to bring the kids sometime after lunch um, and that they plan to do their school works in the morning? I mean, it's really hard to tell. I mean, I also uh, talked to a center about basically doing three rotations of kids through the day um, so that, you know, you're open for 12 hours <laughs> and you have the school age classroom and you have 10 kids in there for three and a half hours. Then you have a half an hour to 
to disinfect the room. And then you have another group of kids in there for three and a half hours. And then you disinfect the room. And then another group of 10 kids in there for three and a half hours. And you disinfect the room. And that gives the parents who are working from home or are working a, a, an essential worker job, that gives them three and a half hours where the kids are somewhere else. They're supervised. They know that they're getting their education done. And if the person who's filling in the other part of that day, their neighbor, their grandmother, <laughs> um, you know, another, you know, the other parent, whoever it is who's taking the other four hours of that eight hour work day has a break and they can do their life also. I mean, that's another, so you're basically doing school age. So the same number of hours you would do in a normal after school program, you're just doing it three times in the day with three different groups of 10 kids. Yeah. So, so definitely think through all your options. If this is something or a strategy that you're contemplating, you know, feel free to send us an email. Tell us what you have found um, that might work for you. Um, hello at colorfulclipboard.com is the email to send us your, your feedback, your questions, because we would love to hear from those programs that feel like this is right, uh, programs that maybe have struggled, um, or just if you have general questions. Uh, we're trying really hard to provide valuable content, but also not be a podcast that every single week we're going to talk about everything that's going on. Um, so <laughs> if you listen to us early on, we definitely had some some, some definite um, early COVID-19. Um, but if you haven't listened to us, I mean, this is episode 21. So we've got, you know, 20 other episodes out there. Hopefully you've gone back and listened to them. And we would love to have you uh, share your feedback, um, share the, the podcast on social media. Um, and, and don't forget to, we do have Facebook page. We have an Instagram. I think that's it. (laughs) I mean, I think we could, you know, should we tell them just a little bit about what are some of the episodes we've had? Like what was last week's episode? Do you remember last week? I know that was a long time ago. (laughs) You're funny. Uh, yeah. So last week we talked about, um, Uh, the importance of benefits and understanding benefits versus giving uh, away free childcare to your staff. We've talked about having special days um, and how to do curriculum around Talk Like a Pirate Day. Um, We've even helped you from hiring, how to give tours. Uh, We've got um, some stuff coming up in the future. We're going to talk a little bit about um, how to schedule vacations and what a nightmare that might be. Um, we've also talked about writing scripts for the phone. So, I mean, we've got some great stuff coming up for you. Um, and we've done some, like, I I think we've done some of the, the, the neatest podcasts. Um, and, uh, we were doing this before COVID, uh, but we launched it during COVID. So don't forget to go back to the ones that were pre COVID. (laughs) Um, cause, cause some of those people haven't really checked out, but they're some of the best ones. So, and of course I personally like our test run one, which was my soapbox about t-shirts. Yep. I think that one was a lot of fun. (laughs) I'm a huge fan, of course, of the one about special days, um, all the ones about staffing, and the one that we talked, uh, episode 12, which was all about parties at your program for your families. 
Um, I think, you know, figuring out how to do those, uh, having celebrations at your program is going to be important to rebuilding the sense of family and community at your center. But, you know, now we have to keep the numbers down. Okay. Well, guys, thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing you again next Thursday. Talk to you then. Thank you for listening to Colorful Clipboards. Connect with us on social media at Colorful Clipboard or send us an email to hello at Colorful Clipboards. Send us your voicemail with your own questions and stories. If you want to keep learning with us, visit Texas Director, where we continue to have seminars, licensing programs, and more. This show has been made by me, Carrie Casey, and Kate Young with assistance from Hallie Casey and Marie Young. If you learned something today, share the show.